yeah, like Curtis said, I just have that image of you in an air mattress with a bowl of chicken and rice <laughs> with the lights flickering, kind of like an apocalypse like scene and the data center slowly coming back on. <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park almost. <laughs> I know that system. You could Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my my meat advisor, Prasanna Maliande. How's it going, Prasanna? I don't know if I'm your meat advisor. I think I'm your, uh, uh, what do they say, sort of your apprentice, or you're, you're, wishing to be your apprentice. You're, you're, yeah, you're not my... I'm guessing you you have a lot of vegetarian dishes in your house, right? Yes, we do have right. a lot. My wife is vegetarian, and right. typically we do vegetarian. And given that we eat a lot of Indian food, Indian food, right. you can make a ton of dishes without ever having to make anything meat. Yeah, so exactly. there's a exactly. lot of variety. Yeah. Uh, so so you're more sort of a you're 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 my meat enthusiast. Yes. How's that? You you you're meat but curious. I, yes, but <laughs> meat curious. <laughs> But I do want to hear about your latest adventure because I've been I've been asking you I think almost every week how your dry aging is going. So I know that this will probably come out later, but now that technically we're recording this after Thanksgiving, I want to mm-hmm. know how was it and what happened. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring on our guest and then uh, and then we'll we'll chit chat about that. So uh, we have uh, it, it's a rare treat for us because I've been in IT for so long. Rarely do I have someone who's been in IT longer than me, and this is one of those times. And I'm super excited because uh, he started in IT just after I was in high school, and uh, started out in the hardware uh, side of things, actually working and running Digital Equipment Corporation, which we call DAC, uh, their internal email service went into uh, IT, uh, has done a lot of things in data center operations, system administrator, data center manager, and he's recently retired, super jelly, and and now lives in Seattle. He is a friend of the person that we previously had on that we called Harry Potter to keep him anonymous. And so to continue that tradition, I would like to introduce to the podcast, uh, Ron Weasley. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, we had we had your friend Harry. Yes, <laughs> on and um, and and we we had a great podcast there. But um, I, I I kept asking, I was like, do you think that the guy that actually was the one with the fingers on the keyboard w- would talk to us? And he said yes. And so here yeah. you are. Uh, yeah. But. Yeah. So, the, but before we get to that, uh, we'll get back to the to the meat conversation. So, Ron, I have had a a an ongoing sort of a pr- project of d- experimenting with dry aging meat at home, and yeah. I started out with these things called the umai bags, which U M A I. It's short for umami, and. Um, the, and so Thanksgiving was the first time I did a dry aged brisket at home. I, I think the dry aging process went really well. I didn't quite get, and by the way, if you are a brisket fan, uh, just go to YouTube and type in dry aged brisket and you'll see why I was interested in dry aging briskets. Because the weird thing is that 
a lot of people in the dry aging slash brisket community don't think that briskets benefit from dry aging, but these videos suggest otherwise. So I tried it out. The problem was that I had a, th- uh, a noon Thanksgiving. We had, for those concerned, we had a sort of COVID-friendly Thanksgiving gathering. So we had, we had 10 people. We did it outside. We were socially distanced. I actually rented tables and chairs so that I could do that and I, so that we could, you know, follow all the rules. Uh, but it was at noon and I had, so that meant I had to start my brisket at midnight. And um, it meant that part of the brisket, well, you're very dedicated. <laughs> yeah. Most of the brisket cooking was while I was sleeping. And uh, let's just say the critical part is towards the end when you need to be checking doneness. And I was really not wanting to get up at five o'clock in the morning when this thing was really done. And so I kind of got up at six. And the difference between getting up at five and getting up at six is the difference between a brisket that is tender and a brisket that becomes pot roast. And unfortunately, I blew my 60-day experiment for an extra hour sleep. So I had a, the brisket was super, super tender, super, super juicy, easily the juiciest brisket I've ever cooked, but it was slightly overdone. And so I was disappointed in it as the brisket maker. The people that ate it, loved it. Um, and so I had no complaints. I also had no brisket left. (laughs) That's when, you know, it was good when we were done. Uh, I think I grabbed a handful of it, uh, just so that I could you know, eat it later. But yeah, we, we had a, like a 16 pound brisket that was completely gone from 10 people who also had a turkey and a ham to eat. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Was that a success? I just I did know. a quick lookup of it. Six to eight weeks. It's saying to, to do that. That's yeah. A yeah. Lot of it's dedication, right? Yeah, <laughs> dedication. yeah, really. Yeah. So I'm current, I'm currently in the process of an actual dry aging experiment where I have a dedicated refrigerator with uh, t- precise temperature and humidity control that's going on like literally right now. It started December 1st, and I'm hoping to have the results of that by, by New Year's and have a New Year's uh, dry aged brisket, but, um, but we don't know about that yet. So um <laughs> We'll talk about that on later podcasts. But anyway, <laughs> well, I'll do our usual disclaimer that uh, Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. Ron, you listened to the podcast where we talked about you, right? Yes, with with Harry, yes. Yes. And the, the idea was that there was a hurricane that mm-hmm. took out – so this actually happened, by the way. This is This is, you know – uh, this, this, this is a true story. <laughs> yes. The, so a hurricane took out an island, an island, took out an island. You and Harry both worked for, you know, we'll call it Hogwarts. Someone had to go down there and do the disaster recovery. My understanding is that it, it was sort of a toss up between you and Harry and Harry couldn't get there fast enough and you could, and, so you were on your way to. You drew the lucky straw. You drew, <laughs> drew the lucky, lucky straw. straw yeah. So you were on. You were on your own. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The um, one of the things, kind of the requirements, was um, because of the nature of the response was you had to be comfortable doing command line recovery of the backup application. Why was that? Uh, just because you um, you you know the. Um, you're going to be um, on the console of the server for okay, a lot of so the no, initial. No GUI for no you. No GUI. No GUI okay. for you at the beginning. Yeah. 
kind of a recap for the listeners who may not fully recall the episode. This is where the hurricane took out the data center. I believe that you moved the servers into a different data center to try to recover and you moved some of the backup infrastructure as well, correct? Right. So the the way that the site had been set up was um, that from like a main computing um, standpoint, they had two main data centers. And the design was to have, you know, half the capacity into one, half the capacity in the other with um, backups and copies going between the two, right? And so we had two backup systems and we replicated between the, the between them. And so um, data center A would back up half of the servers and replicate to data center B and B would back up the other half and replicate to A. So each side had copies of all of the backups for the entire site. Mm. And um, so site A, uh, data center A was fine. Um, the building that data center B was in was the one that was damaged. And the damage to the data center um, wasn't direct. It was indirect. In the, you know, the building was damaged, but it was water damage that came flooding on down and um, flooded the racks and actually had... Um, you know, a foot or so of water uh, in the in the floor of the data center itself. Uh, the data centers were not raised floor data centers. They were um, the the everything was um, you know in cable trays above and suspended above kind of thing. So uh, it was quick. That sounds like equipment. a bad combination to have with a flood. Island. That would come <laughs> yes. hurricane. Yeah. Um, so like in 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 the rack that had our equipment. So we had a um, you know backup server. Um, uh, and a couple of uh, media servers, and then a storage, um, and um, and then a tape library. And the library was at the bottom, and the library was the one that was the damaged the most. Um, the rest of the equipment um, was okay, although the, the some of the damage actually was caused by the. Um, desire to get the equipment quickly out of the one place into the other. And so when they were taking it out, they weren't as careful as they could have been with rails and whatnot. So we had some problems um, racking the equipment up at the at the new location. You know, and they took a, a small little server room and quickly converted it into a data center to <laughs> house all of the, the facilities. Yeah. And so um, so that was from the backup system standpoint, the impact on it, um, because the because of the replication, we were able to start um, providing restores of, of a lot of the servers that they needed um, from the from the A site, right? Uh, while we were recovering the the backup s system for the B site, we. We knew that we could do the recoveries from the A side. We just knew that when we started to bring back online, A wasn't going to have the capacity to back it all up. Right? We needed to get B back on for going forward. Right. So, and, and then we were we were okay. dealing with the fact that um, we had to have vendors come in to work on their equipment and do the checkout, and we weren't we didn't even fire it up until the vendor came in and certified that that they were going to continue to support it after we had done what we did. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so and we had to wait um, for them. How long, to be how, how long do you think it was between 
basically you arrived and you could actually start doing something from, from, well, let me rephrase, but you could actually start doing a restore of any kind. Um, we were restoring, I was restoring, starting to restore servers the first or second day. Um, okay. So you have to understand that, well, um, um, so the, the initial recovery team was a team of, uh, you know, like, like myself for the backups, we had a, 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 a DBA there for, for the handle the databases. They had some network people. Um, and then they actually had to fly in a couple of vendors for the um, um, emergency generators mm -hmm. um, to, to them because um, they were um, the, the generators they put in were emergency generators, short-term outage. Well, they found themselves faced with a long-term outage power-wise, right? It was going to be a long time before power was brought back. And so they were running their emergency generators way beyond the duty cycle. So they had guys in there um, babying and keeping them going while they uh, um, came up with longer-term solutions for how they were going to power it. Uh, so, um, so, when they when all this team get got together as well as this was was flowing in and then you had the local um it staff and actually just, just the whole site staff um they had started to pull out their um, recovery plan and which pieces of equipment that uh, and which systems and that needed to come back online first second and third and all that kind of stuff right Oh, so they actually had a run book and a plan put in place to, ahead of time. To some degree, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of knew, what, you know, based on that, the business. What did that look like? Was actually, it, I was never it? saw it myself, <laughs> you know. Okay. Right. Um, but I do know that one of the things that was kind of interesting is that, you know, the run book um, that, the, uh, that they had was this – somewhat abstract thing at the time because you know they thought about it and they planned and they they tested little pieces of it but they never tested it in its entirety like the disaster presented you know you know and, we we talk about that all the time mm -hmm. uh ron that, that 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 that's exactly the same thing back in the day when i was firing backups in anger when we did a dr test at the bank that i was at that we never tested because you know, without the cloud, without virtualization and, you know, and, and additional hardware or whatever, doing a full DR test is ridiculously difficult, right? It is. It is. And and so no one, no one does that. No one tests their whole runbook. Um, right. Or Well, well now I think now more people do, but so it sounds like you had that problem. So they, they had this runbook, but it was primarily in theory up until. <laughs> up until right. They, because what they learned is, is, you know, as, as, they learned that they had made certain assumptions that they shouldn't have made. Mm. And like one of the of, things, yeah. well, like for instance, active directory design. Okay. So the active directory for the Island was tied to the mainland, to the, to the corporate data center. And when they broke the link to the corporate data center, they were, it's like, Oh, we can't authenticate anything. So they had this, that's one of the first things they had to bring up. Right. So, um, so help me understand there. So, when when the hurricane hit, basically they lost connection to the mainland. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they had to they had to do all of this locally. Um, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You would think that they would not make that assumption being an island, right? Right. But well, 
and 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 see, uh, you know, um, a lot of it was driven by the experience of the local, you know, the local experience on the island, and um, the the prior hurricanes that they had 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 not been as devastating as that particular one that hit them, and so they were able to make it through without the kinds of, of impact and losses that they, they um, did. I mean, it walked, walked right up the middle of the island. I mean, it just devastated them. Um, and so, you know, so they were dealing with that. And then one of the other interesting things that it took, a, interesting how it takes a while for you to figure out what's going on. They had this um, um, satellite communication hookup, which was their fallback. And so that was the way they were talking between um, uh, you know, from from the facility there to the to the corporate end of it, and every day, like around noon or so, the um, connections would start dropping off. I was using it to try to to phone home. You know, in the afternoons, couldn't get a, a, a connection or anything, and they were like, "What's going on? It's working fine in the morning, but in the afternoon." And one of the network guys started poking around. Oh. You know, and he actually he's called the dish most slightly. Well, what it was was there was an emergency and um, supposed to be for emergency only, short term. Again, one of these short term kinds of things, and they had turned it into their main network link. Well, it was um, it was a metered thing because it was shared by all you know all the other emergency equipment. So they would use up their full day's allotment by noon or or even earlier sometimes. Right. Also, and so they, then, had a, they had a bandwidth allotment. And yeah, were, and so then they were, they were metered in the afternoon, right? And so they had to they had to work. That was so, one of the huge. You know, things. you know what this reminds me of. You know, it's you have unlimited bandwidth. Just don't use too much of it. Just don't, yeah, just don't, <laughs> don't, use, don't use it all. You hit your once. data cap, and we're going to meter you. Wow. So okay. yeah, so they that was a huge thing for for the networks was to work on um, and work with uh, you know the vendors and that to try to get. Um, a, a reliable, fast enough connection and multiple connections. Um, I, since I'm no longer um, working with them, I don't know the the end results. I do know that they were um, headed towards several um, uh, different microwave connections from the facility to um, you know to to a, a main link that would then take them to the mainland. Um, Running their dedicated link themselves to the mainland was, you know, just cost prohibited. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I did want to just mention, I, I'm wondering the degree to which this new. So Elon Musk has now come out with this. Uh, I, I mean, they're right. They're in beta right now. And it's a completely redesigned way to do satellite based Internet connections. Starlink. where They have Starlink, where they Starlink. have all of these. um satellites in um it's a different kind of orbit i guess than than usual and and they're saying that they can actually get both bandwidth and uh, latency equal to and or better than um what you can do uh, on land and so it's i I don't know the degree to i don't know how much it scales up Mm-hmm. For a data center connection, but it, it's just it's just the, the interesting th- you know thoughts towards the future th- for things like islands that are you know cut off the way they mm-hmm. are. I, like even even you know the, this the microwave connection 
like how reliable is the main connection that they're connecting to there, right? It's probably pretty right. reliable, but what if it wasn't, <laughs> right? What if that went down? Then you're right. Then you're really- well, and, and what they were running into there was like um, remote, I, I'm going to use transceivers, but maybe that's not the right word, but you have a, 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 a remote tower that is relaying, you know, it's a relay. Um, okay. And so, you know, it's, it's receiving a signal and, you know, because microwave is line of sight. And so if you're going to go, um, you know, over mountainous things, you have to send it between a series of towers to get it to where you want to go. And um, they were finding out that they would poof, lose a tower. And when they go out and look, well, somebody had gone out and stolen all the gas out of the generator because gas was like <laughs> hard to oh, get. Oh, yeah. Um, and then um, – or, or people were ripping up, um, you know, because power lines and, and all the all the sound people were ripping out the copper, you know. So, so you run into that kind of stuff where that just made the recovery effort, you know, external to the site, hard, um, which then impacted the site. Yeah, yeah. So you you were dealing you were dealing in this case you you had somewhat of a perfect storm where you're dealing with the fact that your data centers were flooded. You weren't. Uh, you didn't have a raised floor, uh, so that makes that problem worse. And then you didn't, you know, the the, the DR design made assumptions <laughs> that were no longer true. And then meanwhile, the, the the things that you did have were being frustrated by other things that were yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, can you can you stop work. messing yeah. with the things that actually work while we're trying to put the data center back together over here? <laughs> wow, that's you know we we live in backup land, and we think of the, the the restore is the part we focus on. But it sounds like most of the problems that you were experiencing had nothing to do with the actual act of getting data from storage devices to. Servers. No, actually, that part of it went um, went well in, in the areas. The um, the issues that we ran into was, um, like you said, the um, the disconnect between the design or intent and the reality as it as it unfolded. Um, you know, they'd say, "Oh, so we need you know this server uh, brought back online. Um, so find the most recent backup." And you start looking through, mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh." We're not backing that up. You know, when did you bring that online? Why didn't you tell us, you know? Um, and so we ran into a few of those where um, we couldn't give them. Uh, yes. Oh, that, that is oh, one of the that. most frustrating. So, um, and then, um, well, and, and, and then, you know, or we're backing it up, but we're not including everything, you know? So um, we're backing it up in the sense that we're doing an OS backup, but the data that's on it, you didn't include it, you know? So the, um, so the, this was a net backup shop. So you were not using right. all and, drives um, is what you're saying. And, and it was funny <laughs> that when I first hired on there or came on board, um, they were in the middle of, um, of, a um, upgrade and kind of a, transition uh, the, the manager in charge of the backups and, and whatnot at the time um, was was pushing this we we should only back up what we really need and so he was trying to pu- push uh, the, the responsibility onto the data owners and saying you need to define what's important to you and let us know and we'll back it up so they stopped 
all local drives, right? And um, uh, oh. I, you know, here's the thing: I I don't I don't disagree with the uh-huh. idea of not backing up worthless data. I don't disagree with that idea. What I disagree with is the implementation of okay. So it what I believe is you uh-huh. should identify what is worthless, and then we will exclude that, right? Not identify what is include valuable that, right. and then we will in, include that I, I just i just disagree with that the implementation and just because you always forget things <laughs> well you always forget things and then you you add things it's just like the server that he talked about right you end up adding file systems and the, the, i you know i go back to when i helped redesign the the backup system for a broadcasting company uh they were 20 terabytes as i recall when i got there and one of the things they weren't doing is that they weren't doing all local drives. And I pushed really hard that we should do all local drives as part of the redesign. We did it. We discovered 10 more terabytes yeah. of, of data that they weren't, <laughs> that they weren't backing it up. And yes, it was really valuable data. Right. Well, what, what I found interesting um, through that whole process of, you know, coming on board with that, um, trying to push that idea of, of the data owners being responsible to identify and we back up what they say to then we have to do this recovery, right? Um, my experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so my experience so has been, been Ron, over, if- the, over the time that I've been involved in, you know, the system side of things um, and watching, watching the way things unfold over time is that is really good in theory, that approach of making the, the data owners responsible for identifying it. But what I have learned and watched has been the real weakness of that is, um, you know, data owners come and go. And you don't get the transition mm, between an outgoing data owner and incoming data owner of what's covered, what's not covered. Um, you know, I know that I struggled all through my time um, in, in, you know, um, IT thing of doing proper and adequate documentation so that if I were hit by a bus, as, as the saying goes, um, somebody would know what was, you know, what to do when they stepped in. Um, but I don't think that that was happening across the board. And so, you know, you'd have when a system was brought online, you know, like four years ago, you had a very conscientious data owner who identified all this stuff and it's covered. Well, over those four years, that guy moved on and somebody else not so dedicated came in. Some changes were made that weren't documented, that weren't covered, you know. And so then you have, you fast forward to, yeah. to the disaster and you have a situation Well, well, we're only backing up part of it, you know, <laughs> and, and, yeah, this is why, or this is why I'm a strong proponent a a of virtualization, and b b, b the reason with virtualization it, it helps to it helps to minimize this problem because really all we have to do is make sure we understand we know about new you know VMware servers or Hyper V servers, and then you can you can tell your backup server or your backup software. Uh, back up all VMs that show up on this thing, unless I tell you otherwise. And when you're backing up those VMs, back up everything on those VMs. So you you solve this problem, uh, you know, from a more global perspective. Um, and, and but this idea that you know we could talk for hours on all of the things that could go wrong with manually selecting data sets. 
Uh, and you know what? If you if you back up a, f- a few terabytes of worthless data, that is way that is a much smaller problem than the one you that this discussion started with, right. which is. I'm trying to restore this, yeah. and I'm trying to restore the server, yeah. and it wasn't backed yeah. up. Um, yeah, oh. virtualization. I think you know it was it was fun to watch that come in and be part of that coming in, and it did make backups easier from a from, you know from the perspective of of um, you got it all. You know, you just I mean the equivalent of all local drives was the default for for VMs. One of the things that we struggled with, right. Um, uh, was that we were never able to convince and get the um, virtualization team to agree upon some kind of a scheme that they would manage their VMs under that would allow us to do um, what you said, um, Curtis. This uh, the automatic discovery of new VMs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, if you had. Just pick something, a folder, a, you know, whatever kind or of tags or whatever they wanted to use. The limiter you could do, you could do within the, the virtualization software to identify, you know, production machines, development machines, however you wanted to break them up. And then we come in and says, you know, in this, on this server, or on this cluster, whatever, back up all of these types of machines. Then we wouldn't have to worry when they added machines or took machines away, you know. Um, right. So, yeah. you know, we we still had the same problems in the with the virtual servers that we did with the physical servers of them not telling us, right? The, I, I think the the right long term solution there is is tags, right? Yeah. And and then and then I think that there should be a policy that says if you have a VM that has no tags, start backing it up, put it in this policy, and then yell at me. Right, because that way you can say, "Hey, there's a new VM," and then they then they can come to you and go, "Oh, that's that's test or dev or whatever," and, and you can take it right. out. Um, yeah, it's funny how it's funny how <laughs> no, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and the key, I mean, the, the, I, that I learned in mine uh, experience with this particular one, this um, was in the all the times I did. Well, not quite true. This was the biggest disaster. I should let me put it that way, because I've been involved in a couple of other DR scenarios that were very small um, mm-hmm. kinds of issues. You know, um, we had nothing beats a completely wiped out island. Right. So. We had a data center yeah. um, uh, that had a similar problem where um, somebody had not properly cut the holes in the ceiling of the data center or plugged them when they were running cables through and a lab had a, um, a problem and the sprinklers were released and the water came down and flooded the corner of this data center. Um, and it happened to be in a city by the bay. Um, but um, we ended up shipping their tapes up or up to our facility and then doing the the um, import to be able to then do the restore from our facility while they were recovering, um, you know, the site down there. So we had, I had that one before, but one of the things that I've noticed that's kind of like, I think a problem, it's important to the, the proper implementation of a, of a DR resolution um, as well as just the planning, the building and setting up your 
infrastructure, your IT infrastructure, so that it can be recoverable. And that's communication among the various teams and groups that are responsible for all the pieces that make up, you know, an IT infrastructure. And, um, you know, that wasn't a strong point with that company. Um, they, there was some regulatory reasons why they needed to make sure that um, no one person had the keys to the kingdom kind of thing. But right. the way they did it tended to put walls between the groups. And so they weren't communicating in a manner um, that I feel that they should have that would have helped um you know, address like the left hand, not yeah, knowing what the right hand is doing <laughs> well, and, and address some of the assumptions, you know, address some of the assumptions. Cause I've learned in, in a lot of my implementations, you know, um, anytime doing it, you know, uh, learned a long time ago in the beginning that you got to have a plan. You got to kind of figure out what you're going to do what the steps, what you're going to, you know, um, how you're going to pull it off and what are you going to do if it doesn't go the way you want it to, you know, cause then you got to back everything out. Um, and so I would, you know, do the planning part and then run it by uh, other people in my group um, to break the assumptions. Because I know when I'm building my plan, I'm making certain assumptions. I just know it right off the bat. You know, it's just I know that's the way we all operate. Um, and so I'm building my plan and then I have to run it by somebody who will not have my assumptions to find those. That reminds me when when we used to do the DR test, the way we would do them is I wasn't allowed to participate in the DR test. Mm -hmm. we, we had to have someone else who was an IT, who was an IT person, and then they would follow my documentation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I had to pretend to, to be dead. Um, it was always, <laughs> by the way, you, you talked about, you know, you got hit by the bus. I always hated the fact that it like, why can't I like win the lottery and disappear? Right. Why, is yeah, it always, why does it have to be a bus? Why do I always have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had to pretend to be dead. And as I, I've, as I've discussed more than once on the podcast, the, the standard was um, that, you know, a, a success was we got 100% recovery without having to have Curtis help. And not once did we get that because there was always there was always something <laughs> that was left out of the documentation, no matter how much you try right. to. Well, then yeah. that's, I mean, that's why they're, they, they should be viewed as living documents. You should be um, yeah. reviewing yeah. them. You should be testing them. You should be updating them. Um, but, you know, there have not been many places that I've worked in the, in the 30 some years that I've worked in, in doing that kind of stuff that operated that way. Um you know, there were companies that I would, you know, like I can remember one that I got in and if they didn't have anything and really pushed really hard to get some kind of a company-wide uh, DR plan pulled together. And so we put a lot of effort into it and we built a document that then was put on a shelf and it was never looked at right. again. And it's like, well, why do we even Binders. do it? Has cobwebs yeah, and everything yeah. over it. <laughs> why did we even do it, you know? Um, the, the last company... It, was one of the better ones for at least attempting to have that be an ongoing part of their, um, you know, their operational thing. Cause they, they, uh, when an application or a service was brought in, it had to be identified. Is it business critical? You know, what level of, of protection does it need? And then, um, if it is business critical, they had to have a DR plan and they had to do, 
a um, table talk one year, and then the following year they actually had to do execute the plan. You know, and so um, a good portion. And did they have to do the whole plan for the application? Kind of like what we talked earlier for the application. Oh, right. For the application. And, okay. They had to pretend they had to have a green field. Right. Right. And so there right. was still some weaknesses in that part because um, uh, there there were there were assumptions made, right? Uh, that, okay, mm. we're going to assume that there's a proper infrastructure. We're going to assume this. We're going to assume there's DNS, you know. From an application standpoint, okay, that's fine. But what was never really done, and this is kind of the breakdown um, on the island, was those assumptions about the infrastructure had never been tested or, or figured gone. out. And that's what caught them in the beginning. Right? Those assumptions were all underwater. And yeah, yeah. The infrastructure part was the part that had broken the worst, if that's... <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting. And I just wonder, though, like, how many times do people make that sort of assumption? Like, do you kind of make assumptions that, Power may or may not be available, but the building may or may not be standing. But there are certain things about the outside world that you just assume will still be up and running mm -hmm. as you're trying to work these things through. I guess on an island, things get more complicated mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of what may or may not be working. Like yeah. you said, links, communications links, etc. But I guess you're right. That is something you have to take into consideration or things outside of your data center that you have to take uh, think about. Right, but I, I was I thought about this a lot after you know in the aftermath of that for the um, um, for the, for some time after being involved in that, and what I experienced there, what was experienced there, to me could very well happen in a regional sort of way here on the mainland, and and so leave too. leave yeah. a company in the same boat, right, um, and so. You know, while there are some particularities to being on an island, um, it doesn't mean that if you're not on an island, you don't have to worry about the kinds of assumptions that, that you know, that turned out to be big problems in their initial um, you know, recovery attempt. Yeah, you you would think that being, being on an island, they would not assume a connection to the mainland, but uh, apparently that was, that the, was case, the case, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the, the difficulty I have when I hear this story, because the, the island situation, what it does is I think it it brings to the foreground or makes possible many of the worst case scenarios that could happen. They, they could happen to a lesser degree on the mainland, but but to a greater degree on, on an island. Um, but the, the, the real problem here is that many many of the modern solutions that I would think of to solve these problems are based on using the cloud, mm -hmm. which is problematic when you look at an island situation. Mm -hmm. It's not as much when you're looking at a mainland situation, but if, for example, you, 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 you would have to have, you know, internet connectivity, which is why I go back to that. I I'm really curious to see how this, how the Elon Musk project goes away or go, goes forward and whether or not it's, um, you know, something that can help solve this problem because everything that I know that's being done right now has to do like in the really cool DR perspective has to do with using the cloud. Nobody's talking about, you know, 
you using physical server DR services or, you know, all of the, basically without using the cloud, it's so much harder. And with using the cloud, it's so much easier to not just to test an application, but to test the disaster recovery of the entire site. But here's a question for you, Curtis. Yeah. Given the island scenario and assuming yeah. that your the cloud was available on the island. Yeah. Wouldn't, and say everyone got hit by this. Uh-huh. Isn't the cloud provider in the same situation where they may not have enough resources or they well, might be down? That's why I'm I, saying I, granted, I, I know that you yeah. probably are going to do DR to the mainland in this example yeah. or somewhere else, but <clears throat> I'm just wondering would, if I, everyone starts doing that. Don't like cloud provider is just a big data. It's just somebody else's server. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Agreed. I, I'm just saying that's why the, 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 the island situation is so problematic because I, I completely agree with you that, if it was, let's just say th- this was a pretty small island. Let's say it's a bigger island and there is a cloud provider because there there wasn't, I, I don't think, cloud stuff available on the island. Uh, if you if it was available, I wouldn't use that as your DR site. I would use the mainland, right? And so, because yes, you, because you're completely right. If, if your data center is underwater and you're on an island, quite possibly their data center is underwater, right? Um, the, um, it reminds me, I used to, you know, manage data centers in, in Delaware and we had a uh, our offsite vaulting company. It wasn't Iron Mountain. It was this local company. And what they had was they had a World War II bunker, um, like like bomb shelter, and that's where they stored tapes for people. Which sounds really good until a hurricane comes. And so whenever a hurricane was on its way to Delaware, we had to pay money to have all of our tapes moved out of the bunker and up to the second floor. Um, so that if our data, if our data center was underwater, our tapes also were not underwater. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I, I just, it's just the, the, the island situation is frustrating. Um, and, uh, so any further thoughts, um, Ron on the, cause we haven't even talked about the recovery yet. And I, I'm just going to have to have you back. Cause I, I find this. So I find this discussion incredibly fascinating. You're, you know, you're, you're smart, you know what you're doing, you're articulate. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm super glad that we, that we finally have you on. Can you think, uh, so what I'm going to do is we're going to, with, on this podcast, we'll sort of round out the discussion on everything sort of almost not recovery, like all of the things that just frustrated you being able to start a recovery. Can you think of anything else that falls into that category that happened to you? Well, I was just trying to go back. Um, I mean, there were no Snickers bars available, for example. Um, you know. Well, I was just going to ask you about how it was on the island itself. I know you had a job to do trying to get the company back up and running, but I'm sure yeah, there was also... Was yeah, yeah, well, okay, yeah. on that. Um, so I need to go back to see the island um, because I didn't really get to see the island, you know. Um, it was an interesting It was an interesting journey. We, um, we flew down in a corporate jet, right? That was a trip in and of itself. Um, that must have been cool. Was that cool? That was Just very tell me that cool. Was cool. Uh, but I'll tell you what, okay. it, it bit me in the butt because I didn't have to go through TSA or anything on the way down. And so I forgot that I had put a couple of things in my bag. And when I was leaving the island, I had to actually fly commercial TSA and, and it was, it was fruit and it was like, they take it out and you know, can't take it with you. So, um, but, um, it was, it was weird. Um, you know, when we landed, uh, you know, uh, the, at that time, this was very early after the the um, the initial the hurricane itself, right? And so, um, 
limited flights in and out. You had to, um, you had to, they, you had to basically, they had to request and were given this tiny window to land in. And so, boy, they had to make sure they made it on time and all that. Um, they had a number of people with the company that they were relocating to a facility on the mainland so that they could get online and do work in helping to bring the site back, right? Uh, they couldn't work locally. And so they were waiting when we landed and, you know, we got off and they put us in a shuttle and then took us. And there wasn't, I grew up in Montana and Montana in the winter, when you look out, um, you got the evergreens, but if there's not an evergreen, it's brown. It's brown, right? I mean, there's there's no green. Um, there, um, and so this looked a lot like Montana in the winter without the snow. I mean, it was just brown. There wasn't any leaves, any green anywhere. It had been stripped bare. So it was weird seeing that. Oh, because it had been stripped, stripped bare, from, yeah. uh, from the, the hurricane. The wind gotcha. just stripped it off. The, one of the guys that, that he, he worked at the facility, I forget, he'd been like 20 years he said, I've been doing this commute for the last 20 years. I didn't know there were houses down there <laughs> on the side of the road, you know, because it was so lush and green. You, you couldn't see beyond. Oh, and he says, I'm seeing stuff that I didn't even know was there. But anyways, um, and then we get there and, you know, there's, they basically put us up in conference room. They turned conference rooms into um, um, just uh, dorm, right? And we had... Um, um, they had these little air mattresses and, um, I brought, uh, they told us, you know, bring a bag. And, and so I brought like a sleeping bag, you know, change of clothes, uh, and, uh, pretty much spent, well, the entire time I was there, um, I spent it on, on the facility cause there was nothing to go, no place to really go. Um, for, for the locals, you know, there were long lines for everything, um, and so it just didn't seem right to go get in long lines for those people. Um, they they were providing us with, um, you know, the food. Um, and it was a lot of um, chicken and rice, but, um, you know, you survive on on, on it. So they, they took, they, the the company took very good care, I thought, of, of the people. Um, and they also were taking real good care of uh, local workers um, who, could not come back in um, to the facility, you know, just because they they weren't their stuff wasn't yet recovered, you know, because there's some manufacturing goes on there, and so they weren't ready to do manufacturing. Um, but they took care of them. They shipped in, um, brought in pallets, pallets full of of uh, books, food, and whatnot, and then uh, had the workers come in, you know, and they just basically parceled them out and helped supplement a lot of their. Stuff. So I thought that was really good. Their, their response overall and taking care of their 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 local employees, I thought was really well. And you know, and, and they did good by us as far as, as you know, under the circumstances. You know, we didn't go hungry, and we you know we had a place to sleep. But it was I was there for almost two weeks, and it was pretty much um, you know twelve, fourteen, sixteen hour days in the in the beginning and then it tapered down after about the first week. Um, and then it was we were down to sort of eight hour days, but then you're just sitting around a lot of time. And so since there was nothing to do, we just worked. Yeah, but like what else, what else do you do yeah. when you're in that situation? Yeah. You know? Um subsequent you're not watching Netflix. Yeah. Subsequent teams that came down 
um, by by that time, um, they were actually coming down on commercial, you know, because commercial um, flights had started to pick back up as they had um, kind of cleared stuff up in that. Uh, and then they had uh, rented out hotels uh, space for them and were shuttling them. Um, so they weren't staying on the on the on the, the campus itself. Yeah. But so but it was kind of fun in one sense. Um, I did a, um, the only exercise I could really get there was just a lot of walking and I walked around all over the campus just to look at the damage and you know different parts of it had had you know some of it unscathed um the particular building that the the data center b was in um was one of the oldest buildings there on the campus and so um it, it's does you know not surprising that it was the one that suffered the most damage so um and uh, but then it was kind of, you know, it was a the small group of us that were, were forced together, people that you'd never met before or didn't know, were all kind of forced together to, to work together. And that I found, that was fun. That was interesting. You know, you get to, you get to know people. Did and you it, have any, did you have any language barriers? Because no. I'm guessing you don't speak the language of the no, locals. No, but, but um, you know, um, everybody within the facility is, is fluent. English, it's, okay. you know, because it's a it's um, a mainland company, you know, headquarters. Okay. Um, so gotcha. so they're all they're all bilingual, um, which puts them way up the ladder on, than me. You know, um, I've always I'm always <laughs> yeah. um, you know my hat off to anybody that speaks more than one language, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, persona, um, but, but, uh, how many you got, Persona? I can understand other languages. I don't necessarily speak them. I still, I still don't speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so it was a very, very interesting experience um, overall. I tell you, you know, it, it was uh, not that not that I want to have to do it again, but because <laughs> of the circumstances. Yeah. But you got to really do sort of the worst case scenario of what a lot of us um, prepare for. Know, <laughs> prepare for, and uh, that's why I, I really wanted to have you yeah. on and, and talk to you. And by the way, we're going to have you back because uh, you, you've got a lot of institutional knowledge up there of what it's like to actually do this in you know in the real world. Um, so we're definitely going to have you back. But uh, I'm going to end this one now because we try to keep these around 45 minutes or so. We're definitely going to have you back. Would that be all right? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, having spent m most of my career preparing for disasters and, and running a couple of, uh, of, you know, tests uh, to actually be able to participate in a full-on recovery of a, of a facility. Yeah, that was a, a, a highlight, you know. I mean, again, if you don't want those kinds of things to happen, but to be able to be a part of one was, yeah, that's something that I, I'm really proud of. This was fascinating. I, 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 it's interesting. Right at the end there, we got the image of you on a on an air mattress with a sleeping bag. <laughs> uh, that 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 added like a whole. I didn't I didn't even think about that part of like you know that you needed yeah. a place to sleep and those places weren't exactly uh, in they were in short supply. Anyway, so um, thanks so much for for coming on. Sure. And thanks, Persona. Thanks, Curtis. Thank you, Ron. I yeah, like Curtis said, I just have thanks that image of you in an air mattress with a bowl of chicken and rice, <laughs> with the lights flickering, kind of like an apocalypse-like scene, and the data center slowly coming back online. <laughs> it's like Jurassic Park almost. <laughs> I know that system. All right, and with that, 
I want to thank the listeners for your attention and, uh, and, and listening all the time and make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spade. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spade. It'll be completely done Maybe one day it-